The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast. And I'm afraid we are looking back on a match that involves... The booty, 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 booty man. My name is Sai, and looking incredibly disappointed about that fact is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. Danny, how are you feeling, mate? <laughs> um, very quizzical today, Sai, but I mean, we have to get through the the lengthy career of Brutus Beefcake in WCW somehow, so we're ready to bang on. But yeah, the booty man is here upon us. Yeah, dear me, dear me. Uh, This episode of Monday Nitro first aired on the 26th of February, 1996. It comes to us from Knoxville, Tennessee, and ratings-wise, it was a real narrow win with a 3.2 for Nitro and a 3.1 for Monday Night Raw. So not much in it at all, really. But no doubt Bischoff had the champagne, the cigars, and the cocaine flying around to celebrate. Uh, We find out from our commentary team of Bobby Heenan, Steve McMichael, and Eric Bischoff, who opened the show, as always, that the Booty Man was a spy in the Dungeon of Doom, placed there by Hulk Hogan. Now, my notes here are normally just bullet points to prompt me and remind me of stuff to talk about and so on. But I'm literally going to read my note out here to you because I don't think there's any other way I can summarise that when I heard it, okay? Booty Man was a spy in the du- in the dungeon of doom what in the holy fuck is going on i have um sorry i'm a bit scared to be honest with you <laughs> in what world has someone like ed leslie becoming a spy i mean this is the man that was busted in uh an airport for carrying cocaine is not a very good spy is he <laughs> Uh, subtlety and secrecy may not be a strong points for him, but he's a spy in the Dungeon of Ding, placed there by Hogan, we're told. Now, how did that, how's, how's that concept come around? How has Hogan, Hogan's gone to his mate, you know, Hogan's gone to Beefcake and said, listen, brother Brutai, 
I've got this issue going on with a little fella in a yellow dressing game, his crazy old man, and a guy who keeps calling himself Andre the Giant's son. We've got this issue. I need somebody to go in and just hang out with him for a bit and report back to me and tell me what's going on. So what happens there then? The, the, the barber turns around and goes, I've got just the thing. I'll paint my face black and white. I'll only speak in two words. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. I'll call myself a Zodiac. They'll never figure it out, Terry. They'll never figure it out. So he, obviously he then goes into the Dungeon of Doom. In theory, he's reporting stuff back to Hogan. Otherwise, what is the point of him being there as a spy? But every single week we're seeing Hogan get beaten up by the Dungeon of Doom. So is he not giving Hogan the proper information? Is he? I don't get it. We're both looking into this way too thoroughly, but I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I could not stop laughing there. So I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking maybe we need a docu series about this uh, this secret spy, um, the Zodiac. I mean, the Zodiac did. He still hasn't been found. The real life Zodiac has he? No, no. Well, there's. Uh, this is. Mm. obviously this is a, a podcast about nitro about wcw nitro notes and so on so i don't want to dive too deeply into this but things like that i mean the zodiac case is one for example that i'm, I'm quite fascinated with kind of know who the zodiac was there's two very strong possibilities um i believe they've both passed away now because these crimes are obviously in the 70s but yeah it's uh it, it was never officially caught so I don't know if you're trying to hint at it being Ed Leslie in the yes. 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was him all along and he was a spy. And he was uh, while while he was uh, watching Kevin Sullivan attack Hulk Hogan, he was off doing something else as well. Yeah, maybe, mate, maybe. Just running around with that silly little spiked bit of hair at the front. Yes, no, oh. yes, no. <laughs> oh, dear. We get a little bit of I mean, sorry, just, sad, just um just quickly start this is the end since this is the end of the zodiac the fact that he has a action figure in uh, i think he came out a couple of years ago is a testament to him i mean he's still making money from the zodiac character i want a zodiac action figure <laughs> we'll have I, to tweet it out <laughs> that's it <laughs> uh, our opening contest is sting versus big bubba one half of the world tag team champions, of course, Sting. And we're told that the tag champions are going to be in action this evening, but both in singles contests. And Eric Bischoff says that's going to be very interesting indeed. And I'll tell you what, I actually agree with Bischoff here. I think that is going to be very interesting because of what's going on with Sting and Luger and so on. So that's going to be quite good to get into. But I found this episode of Nitro very tag heavy. Even though we open with two singles matches, the focus is on the tag team champions in those two singles matches. We then get a tag match, and obviously our main event is a six-man tag match. So it's quite a tag-heavy episode of Nitro here, Danny. It really is. I mean, I found uh, this whole episode to be, um, as you said, it was focused on the tag team champions, but I felt felt like the whole episode was a story about Sting and Lex Luger throughout the majority of the night. Um, and I found that really cool. Yeah, we've said it quite often on the show, haven't we, that the, the Sting Luger dynamic and you know the, the the odd couple tag team sort of thing is Luger trustworthy and so on. It's one of the most fascinating things going on on Nitro because you don't get masses happening each show. I mean, this show aside, we'll get into it shortly, but you don't get masses happening each show. 
but everything that does happen, you're like, oh, what's going to happen next? And it proper hooks you in. I think it's been a really you know, fantastic piece of storytelling by the people who booked this. And I think Sting and Luger, I mean, Luger especially, Luger gets a lot of crap from a lot of people. But I think Luger has been fantastic in this this storyline here. So well done. They're acting like the chicken shit heel and then trying to pretend he doesn't have Jimmy Hart in his back pocket and, and all that sort of stuff. Luger, to me, has made this. He's been great. He has, yeah, definitely. And it all goes back to the subtleties. I mean, we'll get into them later on in this episode, but the subtleties is what makes uh, this whole storyline for me. Yes. Yes, definitely. Uh, during the entrances here for Sting versus Big Bubba, we have, a, a, well, I suppose there's a clip of audio that is played again and again whenever people talk about the Monday Night Wars and how Eric Bischoff conducted himself during this time. Eric Bischoff, refer, I mean, people would have heard it if they're wrestling fans, of course. It's on all documentaries and so on. It, it's, it's the example used of Bischoff giving away the results on the pre-taped Monday Nitro to keep people on his live show, on the channel that his live show is being shown. Eric Bischoff refers to the WWF as the World Whining Federation, uh, lists that Vader does something and Yokozuna's on the show, Diesel goes over is a term he uses. And he says something about Bob Holly and ends the with, guys, he's still around, which, which tickled me a little bit, to be fair. That makes me laugh because uh, Bob Holly would be around for another 12 years after that statement would, was made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he would have been, I'm assuming, Sparky Plug at this point in 96. Is that yeah. roughly right? Yeah, he didn't turn Hardcore Holly or Bob Holly until well into the late 90s or early 2000s. Mm, okay. Uh, something I noticed straight away here is that Sting is not carrying his World Tag Team title to the ring, which I think... Uh, in a way I felt was odd, but on the other side of the coin it's WCW. And we've seen that before. Sting was the United States champion and didn't bring the belt out to the ring with him. So maybe it's just, maybe Sting's just forgetful. I think he is, but I put it down to that, su that subtle hints of uh, Sting not really feeling this tag team anymore or have starting to have suspicions. But I mean, I might be looking into that too much and he might have just forgot the championship as we discussed in the past. <laughs> no, I, I don't think, I don't think you are looking into it too much. I think you're spot on. I think this is potential. I like to think anyway, this is potentially those subtle little touches to the sting Luger story. Sting not coming out with the belt in this singles contest. And then when we get to Luger a bit later on, he comes out at one point carrying both belts and, but he is very proud of his tag team championship in his contest, but we'll get to that very soon. This is to me quite a good opener. Sting is obviously hugely popular wherever he wrestles. The, the crowd are crazy into Sting. It, it gets people off their feet and, and it's a good start to the TV show, Danny. It really is. And what I liked most about this match was the announcers repeatedly putting over Bubba Rogers as this big guy who's a tough guy but then when Sting would attack him he would sell quite comically I don't know if you noticed that side he would sell like kind of like he was like a heel in the WWF it was like his facials it was uh doing like shaking things and stuff like that but I did find that a contrast but I did find it entertaining nonetheless yeah that was a really weird kind of shaking of the arms and the head moment wasn't there and I was a bit like yeah what's all that about was that after was that after a bulldog or or yes yeah yeah 
Yeah, I, just, I just found it weird because as that was going on, you had Eric Bishop, we had all three announcers saying that uh, Big Bob Rogers was tough and he's done this and he's done that. And it was like, okay, but is this the same guy we're watching? <laughs> yeah, fair point. Fair point. Uh, Bubba takes control of the contest. I mean, it, it's a very straightforward, I suppose, kind of wrestling match to open the show. Uh, Sting comes out, crazy popular. Bubba takes control. He's hitting some big clotheslines and atomic drop. Eventually, Sting has a bit of a fight back, which is cut cut off, cut short by Bubba. But then Sting does manage to fight back a little bit when he knocks Bubba off the top rope. And, uh, and Big Bubba takes a big you know, splash into the ring from that. Fair play to him. And then Sting wins with a top rope crossbody. So the crowd are happy straight off the bat. They are, and I think uh, one thing we forgot to say was Sting hit an amazing uh, pile driver in this match, and the camera totally uh, saw where Big Bubba's head didn't hit the mat. <laughs> they yeah. they uh, messed up on the um, the camera angle there, but it was uh, it just proved how strong Sting was because he he looked like he deadlift uh, he deadlifted um, Bubba Rogers up because it, it looked mm. uh, very impressive, but just a missed camera angle. But yeah, finishing the match with a flying crossbody for the one, two, three. I don't know how to feel about that. What do you think about that finish, Si? I always, I like the fact that a match can end at any time. It adds to the realism of it. However, in a situation like this, where it's the opener of a show and it's one of your big, big stars, it's an opportunity to promote their finishing move a bit more. So a Scorpion death drop, if he didn't want to have Bubba tap out, but I can't see why Bubba tapping out would be an issue. So the Scorpion leg lock could have worked as well. But again, it's one of those things where it makes it look like the match can end at any point. And I think wrestling fans nowadays are very much trained into thinking you've got to see a finishing move for the three count to happen. So I like the fact that sometimes in WCW that's that's not the case for me. Yeah, totally. I think that um, that idea of you have to have a finishing move for the match to end probably comes from like computer games and things where you could only win the match if you hit your finisher. I know it does for me. I can speak to that. Yeah, and it is a sort of I suppose that. <laughs> The, that sort of generation that were playing those games, I mean, SmackDown and, and versus Raw and all that sort of stuff on the PlayStation and whatnot, that they will have that, I suppose, bred into them. Maybe because of the games, maybe not. I don't know. But the wrestling on TV, sort of the mid 2000s onwards, was always very much a case of, okay, Triple H has hit his pedigree, it's game over. Yeah. Goldberg has hit his jackhammer, it's game over. You know, the rock bottom is game over. So it's very much a case of, I mean, that, that's great because you get the crowd response from that move and so on. And you also get, then get the other side of that when, uh, using the rock bottom as an example, when the rock would go for the move, the crowd would react, but then his opponent would escape. So you've got that added touch you can throw into your match earlier on as well. Yeah. But yeah. It's it, it, the fact that you can win a match at any stage, I think makes it more realistic to me. Yeah, I like that point as well. And it was nice that the crowd did uh, like pop when he did um, get the free count because, as you said, they weren't expecting it. But hats off to Big Bubba Rogers because we don't see him enough here on Nitro Nights, do we? No, no, that's true. And the guy, for the size of him, he can really move, can't he? Yeah, definitely. And that's another point the announcers kept bringing up was oh, he's so agile and stuff, and he really was. Mm. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, Sting and Luger are now on the ramp with Ming Jing. Obviously, Sting has just finished his match. Luger is about to begin his shortly. Uh, the Road Warriors, though, come out and interrupt them. And this was a bit odd for me. It's obviously setting up Sting and Luger versus the Road Warriors for the tag team title. And eventually we get a Chicago street fight set for a future date. But the way we get to that just basically has Luger and Sting and the Road Warriors arguing about who knows more about Chicago. Uh, this is very weird, but Sai, you remind me of a washing machine. <laughs> oh, yeah. What a brilliant quote by Hawk. I, I struggle to figure out what he meant by that, but uh, maybe just he just doesn't like washing machines at at, the, at that point. But I just, yeah, it was very, uh, it was very weird. Um, some of the verbiage that was coming out of the Road Warriors, but um, and Lex Luger as well, because Lex Luger was claiming to be from Chicago and stuff, but he's actually from New York, isn't he? You also get the thing with Sting as well, though, because Sting is siding with the Road Warriors. Sting is turning around to Luger and saying. No, you don't want to face them. You're not from proper Chicago. You're from like white collar Chicago. They're from the streets of Chicago. He's he's putting over his opponents and putting his uh, his partner down. It's it was just so weird. Subtlety. That's all I'm putting it down to. <laughs> oh man. The next contest is Luger's singles match, and he is facing somebody we haven't seen in quite a while. And that is the former television champion, the Renegade. Uh, the Renegade comes out again, very much in ultimate warrior form, sprinting to the ring before his music has even started. That was very weird. But you say he comes out in ultimate warrior fashion. I felt like he had dropped a lot of the ultimate warrior ripoffs here. Um, but that music, um, uh, flub was a very weird it was i mean because he got to the ring and then his music started playing didn't yeah. it it's again it's a production issue with wcw isn't it and um these these sadly they never go away danny right the way through the company and i mean you can put the the pile driver that you brilliantly brought up earlier on with sting and big bubba's match if that was say the wwe or certain other companies they would cut to an angle that would make it look more realistic potentially for yeah. want of a better term uh yeah. whereas wcw very much are a case of look here's how this is done you know and it's just those production levels are, are just not quite there all the time for me yeah and um, we did say that um during our um halloween havoc review where we was talking about um jerry lynn getting hit in the, uh, fi- in the face with a fireball where we clearly saw um the sheik just throw it just where it didn't it went nowhere near him yeah so yeah we're de- we're seeing a lot of it we definitely are but um renegade we've talked about before uh, to me that's what i was just saying is like i felt like this was maybe a new version of the renegade i couldn't see a lot of ultimate warrior comparisons in this aside from the entrance um what did you think sir um i I still got warrior vibes because I think the hair is very much like the warriors when he, when he was like 1990 world title run, that kind of feathered hair, with the highlights in it and so on. He's obviously still got the tassels around his arms. He's got the running to the ring. When it came to the actual work in the match, I don't, I, the renegades obviously not got masses to him. 
when it comes to actually the, the in-ring aspect of things. So there is potentially still similarities there when the match starts because it's all clotheslines uh, and power moves. And that was kind of the Warriors game as well, I guess. But the, I think you're right in one aspect in that the face paint was very much toned down. Because when we saw the Renegade previously, he had, a, he had a lot of face paint on. He still did here, but it was toned back quite a bit, I think. Yeah, and he also had new ring attire as well, didn't he? He didn't wasn't mm. going with the singlet anymore. It to, I think they mentioned it in the comment um, commentary, but they said like the um, Renegade has been spending a lot of time in the power plant, and it definitely showed us or an improvement in ring here. Um, I don't know if you did, sir, but uh, I know he had a lot of offense in this as well against Lex Luger, which I was very shocked about. Yeah, I mean, I think this again is. Just adding to the whole differences in Sting and Luger. Sting in his match, he was very much, you know, foot to the floor, full speed ahead, off, you know, attack, attack, attack. He was on the offensive and so on. And then he had the big comeback when he was uh, getting, a, you know, he was getting worn down by Bubba and had the heroic victory overcoming the, the issues he had in the middle part of the match. Luger here is basically wrestling as, as, as a chicken shit bad guy. He doesn't fancy tying up much with the Renegade. The Renegade sends him out of the ring quite early. And Luger is almost playing the role of Big Bubba in the Sting match, in a way. Maybe not as confrontational, but there's aspects there. So, yeah, the Renegade does get quite a bit in. But I think that's because Luger is trying to play that kind of, uh, I'm a bit of a bad guy, bit of a scaredy cat sort of aspect, maybe. It's all character work, isn't it? Mm. And again, you keep bringing the word up this week and I'm going to steal it from you. It's, it's the little subtleties in the story because the differences there between Sting and the dynamic of his match and then Luger, who is the other half of the tag team champions with Sting, of course, in his match, the differences in the, in both of their game plans and how they approach, almost how they approach the simplicity of having the challenge is 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 you know, night and day. It's completely different. And I, that adds to that strange, odd couple dynamic of the team itself. Yeah. And a, a big point was uh, Lex Luger coming out with the championship belt as well and posing with it and making yeah. sure he had it the right way around and things like that. That was very cool as well. Yeah, he's really, really pressing the point. Look, I am one of the tag team champions, whereas Sting doesn't seem quite as excited about this it, it's really it's a really interesting thing they're doing here and you know hopefully we do get a lot more of it and it's not just sort of nipped in the bird and forgotten about it or whatever yeah. the match itself however you know the renegade starts well luger ends up to the outside uh luger does eventually take control after numerous cross bodies and an atomic drop and so on when the renegade goes for a crossbody again and misses and basically just smashes him smashes himself into the top rope doesn't he <laughs> <laughs> that did look brutal <laughs> yeah fair play to the guy uh but it doesn't last for long with luger in charge renegade starts to fight back we get a pretty spectacular handspring elbow into the corner from the renegade because the guy is like six five and 270 i would imagine you know so being him seeing him do that was quite spectacular we also then get a bulldog by the renegade which sets up luger for the, the big splash off the top and as renegade climbs to the top of the ropes what happens danny 
Well, then Jimmy Hart just appears out of nowhere, pushes the Renegade off the top rope to the floor. Lex Luger runs out, gets him in, puts him in the torture rack, and then gets the win. And to me, I found this was the most impressive Renegade match I've ever seen, to be honest with you. And I I know that's a bold statement, but I never saw the Ultimate Warrior go to the top rope. Ah, okay. Or even attempt it. I don't think he did. He wasn't really known for that, was he? No, I mean, he used to use an axe handle off the top on occasion. Um, I think probably if you watch the WrestleMania 7 match with Savage, he might have done it then, or maybe getting confused to the SummerSlam 92 one, maybe. But yeah, there wasn't, didn't happen very often. No, you're correct. Yeah, but um, that's, uh, I mean, that's, he had to win. Lex Luger had to win this, but um, Renegade definitely brought his all in this match, I found. Yes, definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it, he served his role very, very well. He, he he portrayed his role there very, very well. Jimmy Hart is celebrating with Luger and Luger's flexing and, and so on. After Luger's got the victory here with, with the rack, after the whole pushing him, you know, Renegade off the top rope, and, and etc. Sting then comes out. Jimmy Hart is gone. He, he pegs it. He, don't, he wants nothing to do with Sting. And Sting is really not happy with Luger about what's happened here. And Luger tries to say he doesn't know why Hart was out. He's got nothing to do with him when it was obvious to everyone that's not the case. And uh, Sting really gets in Luger's face at one point, doesn't he? Yeah, he's really in like nose to nose, just screaming at him, backing him into the ropes. And just you can hear him. He's just like, why are you with? It's either me or him. It's either me or him. And Lex Luger's just trying his best to just calm Sting down, but Sting's having none of it. So I think over the last couple of months, me and you have talked about how Sting is gullible. I think he's dropping that here. Yeah, potentially, potentially. But again, it doesn't have a full conclusion. We've seen what we have seen. We've then seen the argument, and Luger kind of skulks off one way and Sting kind of goes off the other. And we know it's not finished. There's a lot of unfinished business there between the two. So to me, brilliant. Bring it on. Let's see some more. Where is this going? Definitely. I hope something will happen as we head to Uncensored. Mm, Yes. Uh, Up next is another match involving, well, lots of tag team wrestlers because it's a tag team match. We have Harlem Heat and they are facing the Road Warriors. Uh, This is just, four massive guys trying to outpower each other for a while, isn't it? It really was, yeah. And I think I made a note on this. Is This started as just a normal tag team match, but midway through, it became a number one contenders uh, match for the tag team championships. Yeah. Um, so it felt kind of half important, but not all the way. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because they've already earlier on declared that the road warriors are getting a title shot in that Chicago street fight. And then this match halfway through Bischoff says it's, this is for a title shot. The road, the road warriors ultimately win. So they're getting their title shot that they were already promised earlier in the night. Anyway, it just kind of all felt a bit clunky a bit. It just wasn't quite on the money for me, Danny. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely. I mean, we've seen this match a couple of times now as well. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, we know who's going to win because we know the match are uncensored. But um, there were some good highlights in this match. I forgot that the LOD slash World Warriors could um, get some really good uh, drop kicks in. I mean, they were still 
here they are. I think they're in mid thirties at this point, and they were still hitting those um like really big clotheslines and stuff like that and um power slams. But that sneaky drop kick, I was quite surprised by. Yeah, and they both. <laughs> I mean, from one side of the coin, it doesn't look amazing because they don't get as high as, say, a Mr. Perfect or whatever. But they're massive fellas. They weigh a ton, you know, so it was impressive they can do it in the first place. But they do hit it very straight and literally right into their opponent's chests. So it looks like the intent is to hit the chest. And I don't know if if you've ever been kicked in the chest, Danny, but it bloody hurts. So, you know, it, it makes sense. Yeah, it really does, and um, especially against Harlem here as well, because they're known for their kicks, and we saw a lot of like axe kicks and bicycle kicks um, and things like that. So it was, yeah, I enjoyed this match, but um, I think I'm ready for LOD and Harlem Heat to face other tag teams now because they have been facing each other um, for quite a while. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Uh, the finish comes basically when Booker T hits the Harlem hangover, that sort of forward roll, forward flip, leg drop from the top rope, which I think looks incredible. The size of that guy doing that, I think it's, it's, it's a really high spot. But there's no referee. Uh, Animal boots the crap out of Booker T, and the Road Warriors get the three count with the referee when you know when he was finished being distracted by, I don't know, the butterfly that flew by him or a kid in the crowd waving or something, whatever distracted the referee for that to happen. The Road Warriors actually got a few boos here at the end of the match. Yeah, I was quite shocked by that. Um, this is, uh, I mean, they could they be turning heel here? I mean, they're baby faces, aren't they? Yes. I think yes, they, they might are. be turning heel. Mm, interesting. So for us to watch in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, definitely. Especially with a uh, finish like that as well. That just screams that maybe we're going to turn heel sooner than you think. Yeah, we'll have to see, mate. We'll have to see. That takes us then to our main event already. We have flown through this episode of Nitro. Uh, the main event, as mentioned earlier on in the show, is Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, and Arn Anderson facing the team of Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, and Scottish Danny's favourite wrestler, the booty, 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 booty man. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> we do get another moment of... I suppose WCW production error, maybe. I mean, it's not a big thing, but it is quite humorous to me watching. Flair's music is still playing as Hogan's music starts playing. So you've got a crossover there. Like Flair and the rest of the heels are in the ring. When Hogan's music starts playing, the natural thing for the cameramen to do is span around, look for people in Hogan t-shirts to celebrate. Here comes their, their red and yellow hero. However, as I said, Flair's music is also still playing and the heels are posing in the ring. So when the camera spans around and finds somebody, and it's a little young lad, you know, probably six or seven years of age, I think he's on his parents' shoulders, maybe. And he's got his Hulk Hogan t-shirt on. You can hear Hogan's music. And the kid is stood there with a big thumbs down, booing the bollocks off it. Oh man, subtlety, side. <laughs> uh, it just—it was just funny. It just—it looked like he obviously that wasn't what happened, but the way it was shot and the way it was put together, it looked like this kid in the Hogan T-shirt was booing Hogan himself. It did. <laughs> but speaking of fans, did you notice 
an old lady in uh, the front row, not um, camera side, but the opposite side from from the hard cam. I did. I'm going to get to her shortly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you get to her. Yeah. Uh, this is the, the the heels come in first, then Hogan and Hogan and his team come out uh, shortly after. They all just storm the ring. They all have really silly runs. I don't know what they're trying to do. They're, they're all half skipping, half running. They all look ridiculous. It's a big six-man brawl to start. The crowd is into it, though. The crowd are really into this. And then it all kind of calms down. The baby faces are in control for a huge amount of the match. But then out comes Kimberly with a bunch of flowers. What was this? I had no idea. Um, they alluded, the announcers alluded to something on Saturday night where Kimberly uh, had a a uh, spat possibly with um, who uh, with Diamond Dallas Page. Johnny and like, Oh, Johnny Vivad. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. So why is she here? I mean, we saw her and we didn't see her again, did we? No, it makes no... Again, who knows? It may be coming up again in future episodes and it may be a long-term thing they're trying to do. Being WCW, I doubt it. But <laughs> we'll see. We will see. <laughs> Eventually, we calm down to one person from either team in the ring and the booty man and our Anderson start. Uh, the booty man gets a sleeper on Arn very quickly, but Kevin Sullivan breaks it up. There's lots of posturing and posing and so on. The The bad guys... You know, jumping in and out of the ring, acting like they don't want to get involved with the booty man, the booty man posing and slapping his arse and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and around this time, we get informed that there is no Monday Nitro next week. It's been uh, well postponed for what do they say it was, Danny? Why has it been postponed? It's been postponed because the uh, Turner Library is. Uh showing an old movie sadly i didn't write down the name but it's basically a premiere of an old movie but maybe if i go back and uh, find out what it is maybe we could review on this show sir instead that's not not gonna happen Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, savage it comes in as well and he dominates flair for a bit hogan comes in and clears everybody out the ring Uh, the booty man comes in and he's dominating all the bad guys as well and you're starting to think, my goodness, are the bad guys going to get anything in here? This is, this is, you know, one of them is your world champion for crying out loud. You're making them all look relatively unimportant. But then Woman and Liz grab the Savage's legs and, and they enable their team that they're backing to sort of take control for a little bit. They do. And uh, the scary thing about this is when Macho Man grabbed both of their heads from outside of the ring, the crowd popped. Yay, abusive to women. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. They all hate Liz now, don't they? Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) The bad guys then, they're working over Savage for a while. Eventually, we get the hot tag, but it's not to Hogan. It's to the booty man. He comes in and goes through his repertoire of maybe three or four moves. And then Hogan tags in as well. Everyone, Hogan just basically leans against the corner with his foot up. And all three of the bad guys are sent into Hogan's boot. He then hits the leg drop. One, two, three. Hogan, Savage, and Booty Man win the match. But straight afterwards, the heels attack. Liz handcuffs Hogan to the to the corner. They whip him, and then everyone just disappears. But Sai, who did Hulk Hogan pin? Flair. 
Arn Anderson. He had to get his win back. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I nearly threw my remote control in disgust because he Arn Anderson has beat Hulk Hogan for the past two weeks. And this is typical Hulk Hogan. I have to get my win back. I have to show I'm better than Arn Anderson. I mean, you had Kevin Sullivan there, for Christ's sake. He could have taken the pin. <laughs> yeah, good point, mate. Good point. Oh, dear. There we go. But that, that's kind of the end of the show, isn't it? We, we see Hogan slouched in the corner, having been whipped. Uh, uh, I don't know where everyone else was when this was going on. Savage tries to break the handcuffs with his bare hands, which obviously is not going to work. Randy, come on, think it through, pal. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a chaotic main event. There was a lot going on, but the crowd were really into it. I, I was quite into it as well. A lot of moving parts out there. It, it weren't too bad a match Danny it wasn't no it this could have been I mean we said it last week this felt big time it was a big triple threat match you had all the big stars with the booty man as well um but to me as much as I, I hate the booty man character and as Ed Leslie in general I actually think he did a lot of work in this match. I have to mm. give him credit. And he had a better boot than Hulk Hogan. He had a higher boot than Hulk Hogan. I don't know if you noticed that. He could actually reach up to somebody's head, the top of their head, rather than Hulk Hogan just hitting their chest. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, to be fair, as much as we criticise Ed Leslie, and rightfully bloody so, by the way, it he had a lot of the tools to become a big deal in this business. You know, he had he had the body, he had the height. He, he he wasn't great in the ring by any stretch of the imagination. But then, nor was some of the guys who who made millions from this business. You know, he wasn't afraid of cutting a promo. He could talk. It's just, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, you look at it as well. He, he's headlined a Starcade. He headlined SummerSlam '89 with Hogan. And you go back and watch the main event of SummerSlam '89 when when his music hits, that crowd go crazy. They are well into him. Yeah, it's it's quite scary to actually be putting this much praise on uh, the booty man. But yeah, I mean, I could see that point as well. I mean, he made, I mean, he was there, he was around for a long time as well. I mean, he's still doing matches now in 2022. Yeah, I got no interest in seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. So then, Danny, as always, we need to give this episode of Nitro a couple of ratings, my friend. We need to pick a good point and a bad point with our Woos and Arrow brothers and then decide if it's hit, miss or middling. Brother, 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 brothers, brother, brother. Uh, Do you want to go first or second, bud? I'll let you go this first this week, sir. Okay, look, I will, as always, give you my O brother first because I like to finish on something positive. My old brother this week is the revelation that the booty man was a spy. What a load of bollocks. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nonsense, isn't it? Absolute nonsense. But there you go. What can you do? Eh? What can you do? What about you, my friend? What was your old brother? It was the exact same thing. <laughs> ah, okay. This, I mean, we we've we talked about earlier in the episode. I mean, they they could have just ran something where Hulk Hogan and the Zodiac were just seen, or have a photograph or a picture or anything that showed that there was some backstory to this. But no, we just had to take the announcer's word for it. Yeah, yeah, not good, mate. Not good. Uh, my woo this week is the aforementioned old lady in the front row. 
She was amazing. For those of you who have not seen this episode of Nitro, go and check it out. There's a little old lady, basically where the hard cam side is. She is sat directly underneath the hard cam in the front row. And she's wearing a black and white sort of uh, jumper style thing. She's got you know a little mop of curly gray hair, glasses. And she is having the time of her life at WCW Monday Nitro. She is strutting along with Ric Flair. She's dancing with Hogan's music. She's shouting at the Road Warriors and Harlem Heat. She is having a whale of a time, and it's well worth looking at. It is just, she is my woo for this week. She was gold, Danny. Oh, she really was. And the reason I noticed her is there's a very famous uh, NWO gif. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, side where Hulk Hogan's uh, arguing with a fan. That is her. Yes, I thought so. I recognised the jumper. Yes, so. the, the same jumper, the same town, Knoxville, uh, Tennessee, is definitely her, and we love her. We she needs uh, an award, really. She, she does. does. I mean, she was fantastic. She was a highlight of, well, a highlight of that main event. To be honest with you, yeah. we should try and find out her name and maybe name our Nitro Knights Wrestler of the Year award after her or something. <laughs> yeah, let's do it, mate. I'm in favour. <laughs> uh, hit miss on Midland, my friend. Oh, look, I'm giving your woo yet, have you? Oh, my woo was, hang, on a uh, hang on let me do that again then what about you then Danny Bird what's your woo this week oh it would definitely have to be uh, shockingly the Renegade actually getting uh, a decent wrestling match well let's do okay. getting a decent wrestling match of the Renegade because when he ran down the ring before his music I was thinking oh this is a squash but he hung in there quite a while Mm, yeah, no, that's a good shape. That's a good shape. We obviously, you know, there's a lot to be said about the Renegade and really unfortunate circumstances surrounding his wrestling career and the end of his life. So it is nice seeing him do something he loved, first of all, and actually coming across relatively good or passable at least at it because he does get a lot of grief you know so yeah he that's does. a good shot mate that's a good shot he, he does and there's a fantastic uh, article i write on uh, the renegades that um was written by somebody on this show but yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> maybe we could uh write um send that out on the socials yeah okay uh yeah for pro wrestling story you're very kind by the way thank you so much but yeah it's uh back when i was doing a lot more writing than i do now yeah definitely i did an article on the renegade and his career and the sad end to his life I'll, I'll share it when this episode comes out yeah i'll attach it to this episode yeah thank you danny you're very kind so then hit miss or middling bud this to me is a high a high middling uh, to be on the side because this was a story there was a lot of story in this uh, if you can excuse the um the booty man zodiac thing this whole story was about um lex luger and sting and the tag team division so yeah it's a, a high middle in for the for this week so how about you mate yeah it's a middle for me as well mate it's a middle for me as well there's the sting and luger stuff again advances their storyline you know we, we keep saying it all the time but you and i are both big fans of the sting luger story that we have at the moment the main event i mean there's a lot of guys in that main event by rights i should despise i mean savage and flair fantastic but there's uh, Arn as well Arn's like you know top top level but you know the booty man and, and sullivan at this point in his career but it worked it was entertaining. There was enough there to keep me watching. So, yeah. But it, at the same time, it's not must watch. It's not go back and watch again and again. So, yeah, middle, I think, is uh, perfectly fair 
assessment of this episode of Monday Nitro, bud. Cool, Matt. Awesome. Danny, let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online and all the brilliant content you're involved in. Yep, thank you, Matt. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Me podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we won't be preempted uh, on Nitro Nights with the great Cy Powell. That's right, mate. That's right. And we're skipping two weeks ahead in our timeline, you know, because Nitro wasn't on the following week. And no, we're not watching some bloody film or a dog show, Danny. Get that idea out of your head. Uh, <laughs> you can find me and everyone I'm involved in at SJP World Media on Twitter. That's the handle for the network that carries this show and numerous other shows as well. All sorts of wrestling content, entertainment, television, fantastic content creators creating fantastic content go and check it out on facebook and twitter and you can follow this show on facebook and twitter at nitro underscore nights that's at nitro underscore nights danny i wonder if we're about to start a run of booty man victories that takes him to the world title picture we'll find out next week my friend we will mate. hopefully not but we will <laughs> <laughs> it's been a blast again bud and to everyone else as always Thank you for listening.